Acts 13, 1 through 14. Now they were in Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they had reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elmas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled, the Holy, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him, and said, You, who are the full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when they saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Poseidon Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Good evening. Certainly good to be together once again this Lord's Day. We are thankful for the opportunity that we've had to be able to worship our great God in heaven and our Savior Jesus Christ. And we're certainly encouraged by the songs and the prayers that we've been able to offer to our Lord today. And we are thankful for the benefit of being with our brothers and sisters. You certainly are an encouragement to me. And I hope that we are able to spend our time in a way that would be edifying and building up of all of our faith this evening. In the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul is reflecting on his mission as an apostle. And he reads in Colossians chapter 1 in verse 25, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to His saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, in, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. 
I love these verses as Paul is talking about his mission, his purpose to preach the gospel, to share the good news of Christ Jesus to all people. He says that he wants to spread the gospel, the word that has been made manifest. He wants to fully carry out that preaching of God's gospel. He wants people to hear about the gospel of Christ. He wants to announce salvation to all people. He wants people to see the hope that they have, the hope of glory. And Paul, he he speaks very personally, you can tell, about this. And he has found his purpose and his mission, and he's very impassioned by that. We oftentimes read in at the end of the Gospel accounts in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 16, passages that I know you're intimately familiar with, that they where Jesus commissions His apostles to go preach the Gospel, to go into all the world sharing that Gospel, proclaiming the salvation of Jesus Christ, and to preach that to every creature, to all people. That is the mission that Jesus appointed His apostles to preach. And that is the mission that all disciples are to carry out. Jesus would oftentimes in His ministry, in His teachings, in, for instance, in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 4, we, we, I'm glad Josh led the song, Sowing the Seed of the Kingdom, because in Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives the parable of the sower. And He talks about how each and every individual who has a good heart, that good soil, that it is going to bear fruit. In Mark chapter 4 and in verse 20, as Jesus is explaining the parable and giving its meaning to the disciples, it says, And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And as we are all seeking to be that good soil, that the Word of God is to be changing and producing something in us. We are to be bearing fruit. And that means that there's going to be a reproduction as you think about plants and how they reproduce then bearing fruit that there is reproduction that we are supposed to share that seed with others. There's the principle that we are going to see this evening, I believe, that disciples beget disciples. But how should we go about accomplishing this mission? I think we certainly see the idea of evangelism, that we are sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, that we all understand that that is part of our role as a church. We see that as a role individually as disciples, that we all share in that. There are those for uh, that have taken on the work of an evangelist, that they have a unique role perhaps, and that they seek to make that their purpose, that as the apostles did and, and others. But how do we go about accomplishing this mission? I think one of the best places to turn is really the book of Acts to help see how this mission really takes shape? How do we see evangelism happen? How do we see churches accomplish this mission? How do we see disciples accomplish this mission? 
And uh, of course, if you're going to study the book of Acts, and if you're going to learn about evangelism in the book of Acts, the most obvious place to begin is actually in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 24, uh, since Luke is the author of Acts, and Luke is sort of part one, and Acts is part two, it really helps set up what Luke is trying to convey in Acts chapter 1. In Luke chapter 24, the very last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Luke, he, uh, he talks about the resurrection of Jesus, and as Jesus is with His apostles, he's, He tells them in verse 45, Luke comments that then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of My Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now if you turn over to Acts chapter 1, and you see as Luke essentially is giving a second account of those same words and that same message that Jesus had for His apostles. In Acts chapter 1 and in verse 6, Jesus is with His apostles and they ask, Lord, is that this time that You're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, it is not, in verse 7, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be My witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The apostles were called to be eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. That is something that Luke really emphasizes that was a unique characteristic about the twelve and the apostles. That they talk about that in uh, later on in Acts chapter 1 and verse 21. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that He was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of His resurrection. That these men were called to be eyewitnesses. That they had seen Jesus in His ministry. They had heard His teachings. And so the apostles were called in a very unique capacity to be able to provide testimony that these men had seen and witnessed the events of Jesus, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and they can attest that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is our Savior. Which is exactly what they began to preach in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, as Peter and the apostles were preaching there in Acts chapter 2, and it says in verse 21, at the end of that prophecy that Peter quotes from Joel 2, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Peter, he begins to call upon the people of Israel to listen that Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, that He performed these miracles, these wonders and signs. And he says that you know that this happened. And he goes on talking about these things and how Jesus was raised up from the dead, that you put Him to death and yet God raised Him from the dead. He says in verse 32, 
This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. And it's interesting to point out that these men, the, the, Peter and the eleven that were there, all proclaiming this Gospel. They were emphasizing that Jesus, He lived, that He performed miracles, that He was a man who was attested and approved by God. He was put to death. He was killed. He was buried and He was raised. And then He had been exalted to the right hand of God. That's what Peter then segues to in verse 33, emphasizing that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God, that He has received all the promises that God had been making to fulfill in Jesus Christ. And that Jesus is now both Lord and Christ. He is sitting at the right hand of God. He is reigning as King. And if you want to see what the Gospel is, then it is going to involve preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus along with the enthronement of Christ, that He is our King. So we're going to talk about the kingdom of God in Christ. And so you see that you cannot preach the Gospel unless you're preaching about the kingdom, which is the church. And so those are going to be some things that come up. The King's Gospel, the good news of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, those are going to be topics that come up when we're sharing the Gospel of the Kingdom. We're going to talk about the law of Christ. The King institutes His law. That would be a gracious law. But it's a law that we must be subject to and submissive to and obey. And what you begin to see throughout the book of Acts is that the apostles, they take on the, the heavy role at the beginning of Acts where they are the ones who are doing the preaching and teaching. But that is not the role that only the apostles were able to hold. It was a role that eventually began to be involving others. The sharing of the Gospel. You see in Acts chapter 6 that Stephen in particular was a man who began to preach and teach. And after the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 8 and in verse 4 after we are introduced to Saul of Tarsus and the persecution that was beginning to ramp up there in Jerusalem, it says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the Word. So you see that other disciples, other followers of Jesus, they began sharing the Gospel. And you have Philip who goes into Samaria. Philip who is with, um, uh, was one of the seven. And from Acts chapter 6, one who was with uh, Stephen, he begins to go into Samaria. He begins to preach in verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. So he is preaching the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. In verse 35, Whenever Philip is preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, he tells him, it says, and Luke tells us in verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. 
And you have Luke as he is weaving several different threads of the story of Saul of Tarsus and his conversion and Peter going to Cornelius and preaching to the first Gentile convert. You have he begins to pick up the thread after the persecution and the scattering from Jerusalem in chapter 11 in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 11 and in verse 20, uh, the same scattering that takes place because of the persecution with Stephen and the stoning of Stephen, you have uh, these disciples who have made their way to Antioch. And it says in chapter 11 and in verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And what I just want us to be impressed with here is that other disciples, they are taking on this role, this mission. You see that this is not a, uh, an apostles-only kind of thing. That this was something that was accepted by all followers of Christ. Everyone who heard the preaching of Jesus Christ and everyone who accepted it and obeyed the Gospel, everyone who would be described as a disciple, they all felt this responsibility and this purpose to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's encouraging words associated with this sharing of the Gospel. In Acts chapter 11 and in verse 21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the Lord Jesus was with the apostles and the various disciples in their preaching, in their sharing of the good news of the story of Jesus, the Gospel of Him and His death and His resurrection, His enthronement. And we see that Jesus was with them. That God was with them and blessed their efforts and their work. And I think that should be something that is of comfort to us when we think about evangelism. It's why the Apostle Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in verse 6, when Paul was talking about his purpose and his role with the church and his relationship with the church at Corinth, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. That God is the one who is really with us and we want His blessing and that is what we have when we are faithfully sharing the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And in our reading this evening, in Acts chapter 13, we read about how that church in Antioch became an impetus. They became a base, if you will, for the preaching of the Gospel to the Gentiles. That They accepted the mission to preach the Gospel. And so you see that it wasn't just the apostles. And it's not just individual disciples, but you see that the church, the local church, began to accept this mission. And they began to see and to look for avenues and ways in which they could share the Gospel with others. As they took and set aside Barnabas and Saul, 
And they sent them on their way so that they could preach the Word of God and proclaim God's Word to others. You see that Paul, he continued to use the church at Antioch as sort of his home base, if you will, for the mission to share the Gospel. At the end, in the verses that you might see on the screen above me in Acts chapter 14 and verses 26 and 28, and then chapter 15 and verse 35 and chapter 18 and verse 22 at the conclusion of these missionary journeys. And we call them missionary journeys, don't we? These mission trips where Paul went sharing the Gospel. That what he would do after he came... Uh, concluded that trip, he would come back to Antioch and he would give a report of what they had done because the church was involved with this work. The local church accepted that mission to share the Gospel. I think these are important things for us to just accept and acknowledge here about evangelism in the book of Acts. That We need to see how this was beginning to take place and unfold that you had the particular purpose of the apostles, but then it began to grow and to expand. And disciples began to accept this mission on an individual level. And then you see the local church developing and understanding and appreciating this mission. And that they wanted to be involved with it as well. And so we see that what we can learn from... The book of Acts, I believe, are several things. But what I want to emphasize this evening is first, evangelism begins with the disciples who share the good news. It begins with individuals who are committed to sharing the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. Whenever there was intensity, when there was persecution, people didn't grow silent. They didn't go underground and they didn't go into hiding and and silenced. They were more willing to preach the Word. And we have to ask ourselves, are we zealous in our sharing the Gospel with our friends and our family, our co-workers, or an unbelieving spouse. There are many people I'm certain that we all know that are not Christians, that are not following the Gospel. Are we committed to sharing that message with them? Are we afraid of rejection? That's something that we'll talk about this evening. Sometimes that fear holds us back. And it trounces the zeal that we should have. But I think sometimes we are oftentimes looking for sort of the just the right approach. We are looking for the right method of evangelism. And I think we oftentimes just overcomplicate evangelism because evangelism can be as simple as an invitation. Turn with me to the, to the Gospel of John in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, when Jesus was just beginning to call His apostles to follow Him, it says in John chapter 1 and in verse 43, the next day He 
purposed to go into Galilee. And he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. You know, it's just interesting to see how Jesus approaches these people, and he just says, Follow me. Follow me. It begins with a call, it begins with an invitation. Just follow me. And then as Philip begins to join him, he finds Nathaniel. And he says, he goes to Nathaniel and he says, We have found the Messiah, we have found the Christ. And he says in verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. It can just begin with a simple invitation to come and invite them to participate and to come and see, come and learn about the church. Come and learn and come and see what it's about. Evangelism doesn't have to be overly complicated. It can be, with, it can be as simple as an invitation to come and learn. Come and see what we're about. Come and see what we do. Come and see what we practice. That's a simple way to begin to evangelize. But I think we do need to, if we're going to evangelize effectively, we need to know the gospel. That's what you learn with Philip whenever he went into Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, you see that he was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to recognize that when Philip is preaching, that he was preaching the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And those two things go together. The two must remain together. We can't separate the kingdom and the church from Christ. We can't separate the two. They must go together. But if we're going to talk about the Gospel in a way that makes sense, in a way that is, is understandable, and we have to talk about who Jesus is, that He is the Messiah, He is the One who has fulfilled God's prophecies and the promises that God has made, that He is the One who died for our sins, that He is the One who was raised for our justification, but He is also the One who reigns as our King that we must obey. We need to emphasize that Jesus is our Savior, but He is also our King. See, at the end of the book of Acts, when Paul arrived in the city of Rome, as he began to talk about salvation, it says in verse 28, Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. He was talking about salvation And again, he was talking about the kingdom of God. He says in verse 31, preaching that Paul, he stayed in in Rome in his own rented quarters, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. He knew how to converse about the salvation that God has and the kingdom and, the, and who Jesus is. That's something that's important for us. 
I know there might be a lot of fears that we have to overcome to be able to converse openly with our friends or co-workers or something like that. But we need to be able to, to practice this. We need to be able to rehearse this, if you will. That we need to be able to converse about Jesus. We need to be able to talk about our Savior. We need to be able to talk about salvation and forgiveness of sins. That's something that is really important. And it doesn't require any sales pitch. It doesn't require uh, some special knowledge or program or anything of that nature requires that we know the Gospel. Something that we already profess that we believe in the first place. That's something that I think if we're going to evangelize effectively, then we must know the Gospel. We can read the sermons that were preached in the book of Acts. That really gives us sort of a crash course into understanding the Gospel. Something else that I think we begin to see in, in Acts chapter 13, as we mentioned with the church at Antioch, they really began to take on and accept the mission of preaching the gospel. They really began to accept that as their purpose. They were willing to be this home base for Paul and Barnabas to preach the Gospel and to teach others. And if you will, notice with me in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. I'm not very good at math just as an FYI. And I've always been told you don't do math from the pulpit. <laughs> so I'm going to just count with you here in verse 1. You have Barnabas, who's mentioned. You have Simeon, that's 2 if I can count correctly. You have Lucius, that's 3. Menean, uh 4. And Saul, 5. You have five men there that are mentioned as prophets and teachers in Acts chapter 13 that are members of the church at Antioch. And then all of a sudden, they send two of those away. Again, help me out. Five minus two is three, if I'm, if I'm doing my math correctly. If, anyone, if I'm wrong, correct me about that. Now, I did have to do this kind of math beforehand. You think about that. Two out of their five teachers and prophets in the local church at Antioch, that was 40% of their teachers. That's a big chunk, isn't it? That's a, that's a significant chunk, a percentage. But the church in Antioch, they saw it as their mission and purpose that we are going to share the Gospel with others in the world. And they began to accept that as a purpose for them. And you see congregational efforts to take on sacrifices like that. To share the Gospel. And other churches, such as the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 1. I love how Paul describes his relationship with the church there 
In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 5, he talks about them and their participation in the gospel. Their participation in the gospel. Well, how were they participating with Paul in the gospel? I think one way in which we see is found at the end of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4 and in verse 15, he says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. He says in verse 18, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You see that the church there in Philippi, they began to accept the financial burden to help support someone, a man like Paul, to preach the Gospel. That they there was the component of making a financial investment, if you will. And that Paul describes it in those kinds of investment terms. He's, uh, he's saying that this is not like an employee-employer relationship per se, as we sometimes think about it, but that you are making an investment that you supplied what I need so that the profit might be coming back to you, if you will. That you would have the profit that would increase to your account. That you would be given the credit. I think Paul is trying to describe this relationship with the church of Philippi that you saw that here was an opportunity for you to become a partner, a participant in the Gospel and with me. That's something that we see play out in the New Testament. Talking about support of preachers. That preachers of the Gospel are authorized to earn wages and to get their living from the Gospel. Paul makes that explicitly clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and in verse 14. And preachers of the Gospel are authorized to obtain wages from other congregations if necessary. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and in verse 7, uh, verses 7 through 9, Paul says that while he was at Corinth, he didn't take any money from them, but that he received help and aid from other congregations that were willing to support him. It says that he robbed other churches. I think he's using that term in a pretty flexible way. But Paul, he clearly was not willing to take money from the church at Corinth so that he would not become a burden upon them, but he accepted it from others that were willing to send aid. This establishes an important pattern for us in recognizing the role of the local church in evangelism. That local churches, they do not send their money to other organizations or other churches or other businesses for those businesses or churches to disperse the funds. Local churches sent funds directly to preachers for their work of evangelism. There was no missionary society that churches sent money to which funneled the funds to preachers. There was no sponsoring church arrangement 
where various congregations sent support to one organizing local church. You don't read about that in the book of Acts. You don't read about that in the New Testament. What we read about is that churches supported preachers of the Gospel to evangelize and to do the work of an evangelist. That's something that I think is an important it's important for us to see that where people have departed in the middle 1800s, that many of churches of Christ, they opposed the, this arrangement, the missionary society, where local churches sent money to one organization, the missionary society, to do the work of evangelism and preaching the gospel. You don't read about that anywhere in the pages of the New Testament. And so we don't practice that. They opposed that arrangement. In the mid in the, uh, 1950s and the 1960s, you see the same pattern, just with a, a different name, where local churches, they said, okay, well, we can't give to another separate organization, so maybe we can just give to another church with elders. Isn't that acceptable. What you just do not see is that Antioch, for instance, they didn't become a sponsoring church. They didn't try to solicit funds from other churches across the, the region. They didn't accept other funds. They took on the burden and the sacrifice themselves. Where they sent out 40% of their preachers and teachers in the church, they sent that those people out. They sent Paul and Barnabas to preach and teach in other places. And so you don't and so churches of Christ again, some of them opposed that in the 1950s and the 1960s. What we learn is that when it comes to sharing the Gospel, and in particular about the financial side of sharing the Gospel and supporting evangelism, is that local church evangelism, it's going to involve some organization, but it's going to involve a relationship with preachers and teachers who are willing to commit their lives to, to preaching the Gospel, and there are going to be sacrifices that churches might make to make that happen. Sacrifice is going to be part of evangelism. But then sharing the gospel also means that we are going to have to overcome our fears and our doubts. That's something else that we learn from the book of Acts. Turn with me to Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, Paul came to the city of Corinth. And what is interesting there that for the first time on that missionary journey, that second trip, for the first time we learned that Paul was, had a trade. He was a tent maker. And he is waiting because he had to separate from Silas and Timothy for a time on that trip. <clears throat> He's waiting to rejoin them. And, and so what he is doing is that he is 
working his trade, supposedly for financial reasons. And so he's working his trade and teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath day only, it appears. And then it says in Acts chapter 18 and in verse 5, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. That after Timothy and Silas, and I think Mark Westbrook made this point a couple weeks ago. I'm going to single you out. I think you gave this invitation that a few weeks ago that when Silas and Timothy joined him, he was encouraged. And that whenever you are part of a team, that you are encouraged to... You feel emboldened to be able to share and to teach the Gospel. And so at that point, Paul transitioned to preaching more fully. He fully devoted himself completely to the Word, it says. But then you keep reading. Then Paul begins and he, as he oftentimes would find in these various places, there would be resistance. There would be those who would not believe and they would begin to oppose Paul. And the same thing was beginning to happen there at Corinth. And it says in verse 9, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Aren't those encouraging words? I know they are to me. Because you think about all the people who are, have been influential in the church. And just from a, a historical standpoint, I think most people would readily accept that the Apostle Paul has had a tremendous impact and influence on the church. Look at all his letters. Look at all the places he would travel to and establish churches and establish elderships to oversee those churches. It's hard to imagine any one person that would have had a greater impact on the church besides Jesus Himself. And Paul, who was trained in knowing the Jewish Scriptures, who was... As you just read throughout the book of Acts, you, you never you just read and you are impressed, or at least I am, about how emboldened he is. He doesn't seem to be afraid of anyone that whenever you deny Jesus, well, okay, I'm going to move on and I'm going to continue to go about my business and preaching the gospel. You don't seem to see any hesitation from Paul. But Jesus knows His followers better than we do, didn't He? And apparently He knew what Paul was feeling and thinking there in Corinth. And after, in various places, Paul had been imprisoned in Acts chapter 16. He had been run off from Thessalonica very quickly after just three weeks or so. 
He was in Berea for a short time. He was on the run. And again, it seems that trouble is following him again in Corinth. That would make even the best of us have some doubts. What does Jesus tell them? Do not be afraid. Even Paul was afraid. Even Paul at times was afraid. He needed some reassurances in his work of evangelism and sharing the Gospel. And I don't want to try and ignore anyone's fear of rejection or your own personal doubts about yourself or your abilities. But what I want you to recognize is that that's natural. And if you begin to say, well, I can't evangelize... You know, I just I don't have the ability, and I, I'm a little bit of afraid. I'm hesitant. You're in the same boat as Paul. That's pretty good company. That's pretty good company. Don't let fear hold you back. Listen to the words of Jesus. Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. That's exactly what Jesus told His apostles in Matthew chapter 28 when He gave the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, as He was talking about going and in making disciples of all nations and baptizing them, He says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us in our evangelism. When we are making strides, when we are making efforts, Jesus is with us. Will you believe that Jesus is with you in sharing the gospel of the kingdom? Called to act by faith. And so, what we see is evangelism is about acts. And to give us sort of just a shorthand way of remembering some of the things that we've been talking about this evening, ask someone for a Bible study. Ask someone to come to church. Ask someone to pray with you. Ask someone to read the Bible with you. It doesn't have to be hard. Just ask. The hard one is the second one. Take courage. We have a sense of Courage. Courage is going to be necessary. If we're going to evangelize, we have to have courage. We cannot give in to the fear. And what we see is that the Lord 
was with his disciples time and time again. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 24, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The Lord was with his disciples as they shared the gospel. Take courage. When you have opportunity, teach. Teach others. Know the Gospel. Share it with others. Teach them about who Jesus was. Teach them about what He did. Teach them why He went to the cross. Why He died. Teach them about His resurrection. Teach them about how Jesus is King. And then as we have talked about this evening, sacrifice. On a congregational level, there will be sacrifices that we have to make. Might be into, might be time, it might be financial. It might be sacrifices that we take to share the gospel of the kingdom. Ask, take courage, teach, sacrifice. That's acts. That's evangelism. Disciples are to be busy sharing the Gospel. Churches are to make it their purpose and their mission to create a culture where we equip others to share the Gospel and support the preaching of God's Word. Sharing the Gospel of the Kingdom is an important work because when we do, we are inviting others to come and call upon the name of the Lord. And if they're going to call upon the name of the Lord, it involves sharing the message of Jesus with them. And they're not going to learn it otherwise. Paul makes it abundantly clear in Acts chapter 10, or in Romans chapter 10, rather. In Romans chapter 10 and in verse 13, he says, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Believe and call on the name comes through hearing the good news. We need to be committed to sharing that message of salvation and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I appreciate your time and your good attention this evening. And I hope that we are all encouraged to take this as an admonishment to each of us do better in sharing the message of salvation with others and teaching our friends and our neighbors and those who we know. Invite them to come and to see what Jesus is all about. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, we hope that you would become a Christian and child of God. We invite you to come to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus, to have your sins forgiven. And it may be that you have made that decision to be a follower of Jesus, but you've not been faithful to Him. And you need to come back and you need to make some changes and some corrections in your life. If whatever it might be that you need this evening, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?